Okay, let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is for us to be able to come and open up this book, a book that You have authored, that You might show us Yourself and that You might show us ourselves. It is a glorious privilege. And so we take it uh, very, very seriously. So we come and pray that Your Holy Word, written so many hundreds of years ago, would touch us today. Lord, Your people have come from all kinds of different backgrounds, stations in life, situations that are going on in their life, and they need Your touch. And so we pray that You might do that. Oh, Holy Spirit, would You be the teacher and the instructor and the comforter and the convictor of sin today. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis chapter 32, we have an interesting wrestling match that's going on between Jacob and a mysterious man. And I've heard lots of sermons on Genesis chapter 32, and usually what I hear from the preacher is that Jacob is the hero of the story. In other words, come on church, let's all be like Jacob. He was a great prayer warrior. He wrestled with God and he prevailed. He wouldn't let God go until God blessed him. And so let's all be like Jacob and let's overcome any resistance on the Lord's part and let's just keep praying through with faith and perseverance until we get the blessing. I think that really misses the mark of what God intended when Genesis chapter 32 was written. I don't think Jacob was ever intended to be the hero of the story. In fact... This is not a story of how Jacob overcame the Lord. This is a story of how the Lord overcame Jacob. Twenty years ago, remember from last Sunday, Jacob had took off on a trip. He had cheated his older brother out of the blessing. And his brother was so mad, Esau, he was so mad, he was so furious that he was plotting a way to murder his brother. And so... Jacob's mother, Rebecca, caught wind of this plot, and so she hatched this plan to get Jacob out of town, at least long enough for Esau to cool down. And so she puts the thought into her husband Isaac's head, it's time for Jacob to get married. Shouldn't we send him off to my relatives in Padanaram, 500 miles away? Yeah, that'd be a good spot. Get him 500 miles away where he can't get hurt. And so the father charges Jacob and says, I'm charging you to go find a wife, not a wife, from the Canaanites, but a wife from your mother's relatives. So Jacob starts off on this trip. And you remember from last Sunday that on the first night of the trip, when it gets dark, he lies down to go to sleep, puts his head on a stone for a pillow, and he has this amazing dream. It's a dream of a ladder. And the ladder's foot is set on the earth, but the top reaches into heaven. And there are angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder. And we showed last week how that Jesus, in John chapter 1, said that he was the ladder of Jacob's dream. Jesus is the bridge between heaven and earth, between God and sinners, the mediator, the reconciler, the go-between between these two extremes. Anyway, Jacob finally makes it to Padanaram, and he stays there for 20 years. God really blesses him while he's there. He left with just the clothes on his back and a walking stick. He comes back with hundreds and hundreds of lambs and goats and camels and donkeys and bulls and cows. He's also got four wives now, 11 sons and a daughter. So this great big entourage is returning now from Padanaram. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 32. Now as soon as Jacob starts to get close to home, 
his old fear of meeting his brother Esau begins to resurface. And he dreads actually meeting Esau again. So what does he do? He decides to send messengers on ahead of him. And these messengers go to Esau and they tell him, Lord Esau, your servant Jacob is on his way to greet you. And he's a very wealthy man. And he just wants to entreat your favor. You can see how he's trying to butter up his his brother. Well, the messengers come back to Esau and they say, Well, we did what you said, Lord Jacob, Master, but you're not going to like what we saw. Esau is already coming out to meet you, and he's got 400 men with him. And so Jacob's thinking, Okay, that can only mean bad news. I mean, if he just wanted to come and greet me as a friendly brother after 20 years, he doesn't need 400 men to come with him. This has got to be his private, personal army that he's bringing with him to destroy me and everything that I have and all the people that are coming with me. And so the Bible says at that point he became greatly afraid and distressed. And so at that point he decides, okay, I can come up with some kind of a plan. I've always been good at thinking uh, on on the fly like this. I can come up with a scheme. See, Jacob was a schemer. His name means heel catcher. (laughs) He was good at tripping people up. He'd always lived by his wits and ingenuity. And so he said, I can do this. I can do this. What can I do? Okay, I've got it. We'll split everybody into two different companies. And we'll put two of the wives and their sons and a bunch of flocks and herds with them. And then the other two wives and their sons and the other flocks and herds on this side. And that way, if Esau attacks this one, this whole company is going to escape. And if he attacks us over here, at least these people here will escape. So he's scheming, he's coming up with a good plan. But not content to rest there, Jacob figures, well, I've done everything I think I can think of to do except for one thing. I, I guess I should pray. You know, as a last resort, let's pray. <laughs> so Jacob actually does pray, and it's a wonderful prayer. He pleads that, God, you're the God of the covenant. You're the God of my grandfather Abraham. You're the God of my father Isaac. And you're my God as well. And he pleads God's command. He says, Lord, you commanded me to go home. You told me to do this, and I'm just obeying your command. Then he pleads God's promise. He said, Lord, you promised that if I would do what you said and go home, that you would prosper me, and that you would make my descendants like the sand that's on the seashore. So he's pleading the promise of God, and the command of God, and the covenant of God, and reminding God of all that he has said. Beautiful prayer. And you would think that as soon as he's done with this prayer, the peace of God would just wash over him, wouldn't you? Ah, good, God's going to take care of it. That's not what happens. He goes right on into scheming again. He goes, there's got to be something more I can do, some plan I can come up with to stop my brother from killing me. And so he comes up with a final plan. And here it is. He'll give a gift to Esau. You see, he's become very rich. So he decides to give him... Uh, goats and lambs and camels and donkeys and cows. And this is a lavish gift. I did the math on this just yesterday. And I figured out that by today's standards, this gift would be equivalent to about $200,000 if someone today were to give all of these animals to somebody else. So if if uh, Jacob were living today, he would be a millionaire. And this gift that he gave his brother is a $200,000 gift. How would you like to get a $200,000 gift inside of your card from your brother on your birthday? All right, bro, I like that gift, you know. 
That's the kind of gift this was. You can see how afraid he was. He would go to any measure to try to appease the wrath of his brother. So he sent these animals on ahead with a messenger. And he sent them in droves, which means he sent all the goats first. And Esau saw all these goats coming toward him, and he says to the messenger, What are all these? And the messenger says, These are a gift from your servant Jacob to his lord Esau. Okay, well, that's quite a gift. Twenty minutes later, a whole drove of sheep come. Another 20 minutes, a whole drove of cows come. And five different droves arrive. Drove after drove. And by the time the fifth drove had come, Esau's flabbergasted. He's overwhelmed by this stunning gift. And that's exactly what Jacob hoped it would have. That's the effect he hoped it would have in Esau's life. Well, after he's done sending all these droves of cattle across to his brother, he sends his family across the brook Jabuk, And he stays there alone. It had finally gotten dark. And he spent the night on the other side of this brook, Jabuk, all alone. And that's where he met this mysterious man and wrestled with him. Now, as we move our way through the text, we're going to be looking at verses 24 to 32. I want you to see this coming. The story unfolds in four parts. Christ battling Jacob. Christ breaking Jacob. Christ blessing Jacob. And Christ branding Jacob. First, Christ was battling Jacob. Take a look there. Genesis 32, verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. The first thing I want you to notice is, who was wrestling with Jacob? Who was this being, this individual that wrestled with Jacob? Well, it says, a man. A man wrestled with Jacob. Notice, first of all, that this is not Jacob wrestling with the man. This is a man wrestling with Jacob. Very important that you understand that. This is not Jacob and all of his powerful physical prowess beating down an enemy. This is this strange, mysterious man coming and dealing with Jacob and wrestling with Jacob, seeking to subdue Jacob. Now, who do you think Jacob supposed that this man was when he initially emerged out of the shadows? Who do you think he he was thinking about? I think he was thinking about Esau. You know, he probably, this is probably Esau. Esau's come to do me in, to take revenge. He's probably got a knife and he's going to stick it in my gut and that's going to be the end of old Jacob. So he wrestles and wrestles, but soon it becomes apparent that it's not Esau. He knows that, but he doesn't know who this individual is. Well, here we're told simply that he was a man. If you were to check Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, and in Hosea we have a divine commentary on Genesis chapter 32. Hosea 12, verse 4 says, Yes, Jacob wrestled with the angel and prevailed. Who did he wrestle with? The angel. Genesis 32, it's a man. Hosea 12, it's not just an angel, it's the Angel. And the word angel means messenger. This was the messenger of the Lord who had come to wrestle with Jacob. But at the same time, he was a man. And if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 32, you'll find in verse 30, So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and my life's been preserved. 
So who is he? Is he a man? Is he the angel or is he God? He's all three. And there's only one individual in the entire universe that fits that description. This is Jesus Christ. Before he actually assumed a human nature, before he was born of the Virgin Mary, this is an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. A Christophany, what we call these. An appearance of Christ. So here we have Jesus himself appearing to Jacob to wrestle Jacob. Now, next question. Why did this man wrestle Jacob? Why is he wrestling him? Well, we get a clue from verse 22. It says, There now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. The Jabbok. This is a little stream or river. All of Jacob's family had crossed that river. Jacob was left on the other side. And the word Jabbok literally means the place of emptying. Sometimes words or like names, names of people or names of places are significant in the Bible. And I think this is probably a place where the, the meaning of the name Jacob or Jabbok, excuse me, is significant. The place of emptying. You see, God had to do some emptying work here. He needed to empty Jacob of some things. Jacob was a very self-reliant person. He was very self-confident, self-sufficient. He was the kind of guy that you'd like to hire. You know, the entrepreneurial type. The people that can always figure out a solution to every problem. They're, They're quick on their feet. He'd live by his wits and his ingenuity. He was a cunning and crafty kind of a guy. We know that because it was his cunning and his craftiness that got the blessing in the first place from his brother. He was able to cheat his brother out of that because of living by his wits, living by this cunning nature that he possessed. And so he'd always been able to figure a way out of every jam. Well, the Lord comes to him and the Lord decides that he's going to have to deal with this child of his because Jacob needs to learn to be God-reliant, God-confident. He needs to find his sufficiency in God and not in himself. You see, Jacob was a man that kind of lived on his own, in his own power, in his own intellect, in his own abilities. He just lived out of his own life rather than living close to the Lord. And so the Lord comes and in grace... The Lord comes to him and gets ready to bless him. Now, interestingly, even though the Lord knew all about Jacob's cunning, crafty, cheating, crooked, conniving nature, the Lord loved Jacob. Did you know that from the foundation of the world, the Lord had already decided that he was going to bestow his special love upon Jacob? That old rascal... He was going to love him anyway. In fact, in Malachi chapter 1, I want to read this to you. Malachi 1 verse 2. This is what the Lord says. I have loved you. But you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Now what's he saying there? He's saying that he made a distinction between Jacob and Esau. He loved Jacob. He hated Esau. And what that really means is that he made a decision that he was going to do some things for Jacob that he wasn't going to do for Esau. Esau should have had the birthright and the blessing. He should have been the head of the tribe. 
But instead, God was going to give that blessing to Jacob. Jacob was going to be the descendant through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed and through whom the Messiah would come. So, God loved Jacob. And because he loved him, he wrestled with him. That's why he wrestled with him. He had intentions of good. He was going to do good to Jacob. Now, going back to our text, how long did this man wrestle with Jacob? All night long. It says until daybreak. What's going to happen at daybreak? Come on, you Bible students. Exactly. He and Esau are going to meet the next day. So this is the only time left that Jacob has to try to figure out a solution. And the Lord comes to him and wrestles him all night long. All night long. Not just for five minutes or ten minutes. Sometimes you see a wrestling match and it's over in ten minutes. This went hour after hour after hour throughout the entire night. This was a long, enduring, persevering wrestling match. And it shows us the perseverance of God in our lives. It shows the patience of the Lord, that He doesn't give up on us. See, the Lord will come to you, and He'll come to me, and He'll wrestle with us too. If you are the kind of individual that strays away from the Lord from time to time, the Lord's going to wrestle with you. I've been told that when there's a shepherd who has a little lamb that likes to stray off from the rest of the sheep, the shepherd, in order to protect that lamb from getting eaten by wolves, will actually take that lamb and break its leg on purpose. And then he'll bind it up with a bandage and he'll carry that little lamb close to his heart for weeks until the leg is healed. And then he'll put him back down and let him go. And what do you think that little lamb does? He stays right near the shepherd, walking right by him. See, the shepherd has taught him a very valuable lesson. It was painful, but it was valuable because he didn't become the lunch of some wolf surrounding that area. He kept him from dying, from being being killed. And so the Lord, in order to protect His children from wandering off, from straying, will often come and wrestle with them. And He'll come to you, and He'll put His finger on a particular sin in your life. And He'll wrestle with you over that sin. And He won't give up. He's like... He's tenacious. He's like a bulldog on the throat of its its victim. He'll get you and He won't let go. He'll just lock on. And He'll deal with you day after day, week after week, month after month. And it shows the long-suffering nature of God. There might be people here this morning who feel like the Lord has really been dealing with you. You know there's something in your life that's not right. God has shown you it's not right and you haven't been willing to deal with it. Well, you're just like Jacob. The Lord's wrestling with you. And He'll wrestle and He'll wrestle and He'll wrestle with you. So we find here Christ wrestling with Jacob. Now let's notice Christ breaking Jacob. Notice Him breaking Jacob. Verse 25. When He saw that He had not prevailed against him, He touched the socket of His thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while He wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, first of all, notice this. Why did the Lord have to break Jacob? Why? 
Well, verse 25, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. The Lord wrestled and wrestled and wrestled hour after hour, and the Lord was getting nowhere with this stubborn, resisting child of God. Jacob was just as bullheaded and stubborn as the Lord was persistent. And the Lord put his finger on this issue in Jacob's life, and Jacob would not turn, would not repent, would not surrender. He would not give in to the Lord's lordship in his life. And so the Lord finally got to a place when he said, Okay, we can do this either the easy way or the hard way. Your choice. And old stubborn Jacob said, I'm going the hard way. I'm not giving in. And so the Lord said, Okay. Bing. (laughs) And this excruciating pain filled the area of his thigh because it was dislocated. It was out of joint. Has anyone ever had a dislocated bone at any point? It just kind of hangs out of its socket. Extremely painful. And once this has happened, you can't do a thing. That limb becomes useless to you. So that's why the Lord broke Jacob. It's because Jacob was wrestling against the Lord. He was resisting the Lord. He was stubborn to the Lord. Now, of course, the Lord could have conquered Jacob's resistance Instantly, couldn't he? Because we find out later, all he does is touch this particular place on his thigh, and bingo, it's over. Game's over, the Lord wins. He could have done that at any moment. But finally, he has to resort to that because Jacob is not yielding to the lordship of this mysterious individual who has appeared to him. Now, Jacob had met the Lord 20 years before. He has known something of the Lord for 20 years. 20 years later, he's still the old Jacob, the carnal Jacob, the Jacob who still not subdued his will to God. And there's a lot of us, perhaps, who we've met the Lord, but we're still struggling against the will of God in our life, just like Jacob. And we can either go the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is just to say, okay, as soon as the Lord convicts you of that thing, you give in. You yield to Him. You say, okay, Lord, I repent. I'm so sorry. Lord, I give this to You. I turn from it in Jesus' name and I repent of this thing. That's the easy way. The hard way is that the Lord is going to have to do a serious work of pain in your life. And He will. The Lord is so committed with His own children that He'll do whatever is necessary that He has to do to break you of that self-reliant spirit. Over in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. God's goal for you, if you're a Christian, now that's a big if, if you've been born again by the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, God's goal for you is Christ-likeness. And God is going to have His way in your life. He will. And if He can't take you the easy way, He's going to take you down the hard way. He's going to put His finger on something and He's going to bring pain into your life that will get your attention and change the direction that you're walking. He'll break your leg like that little lamb and He'll carry you in his, next to His heart until you heal up and then you walk closely to Him again. So that's why the Lord had to break Jacob is because he hadn't prevailed against him. Now, how did he break Jacob? Verse 25, he touched the socket of his thigh. 
Just touched it. That's all it took. Remember, in just a a couple of minutes, Jacob is going to have to face his brother who wants to kill him. Now he's got a dislocated thigh. He can't run and he can't fight. He's helpless. There's nothing he can do in and of himself to get his way out of this jam. He's always been able to figure a way out before, but not now. He is absolutely helpless to face his brother and he knows it. And that's why the Lord touched the socket of his thigh. God wants to make him God-reliant, God-dependent, find a sufficiency in the Lord rather than in himself. God wants him to stay close to him and to cling to him. And so he touches the socket of his thigh so that he can't run and he can't fight. How did Jacob respond when the Lord broke him? Well, notice verse 26. Then the Lord said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now this is where we get mixed up. We read this as if Jacob is saying, I'm the champion here and I am not going to let you go until you change your mind and bless me. As though he was a great prayer warrior that could make God bend his will to him. But you know that's not what was happening. Because over in Hosea chapter 12, it says, Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. Jacob was not this undaunted champion that was overcoming the Lord. He was a broken man, weeping, begging for God's favor. Do you see that? Entreating the Lord's favor, begging and weeping and in his brokenness. And in that condition, he clings to the Lord and he says, I will not let you go as he's weeping until you bless me. Why? Because he's desperate. He needs this mysterious man whom he now sees is not a man, he's God. He knows he must be the Lord and he says, I can't let you go because I have to face this brother who's going to kill me. And so I can't let you go until you bless me. And so Jacob clung to the Lord. This is a beautiful illustration of faith. Faith is simply clinging to the Lord. It's clinging. It's in our brokenness and in our desperation. We say, Lord, I have to have you in my life. I can't do this on my own. I need you. And so I'm clinging to you, Lord, and I won't let you go. I will seek your face day after day after day until I know that I have your blessing. Beautiful illustration of faith. But that's not all that the Lord was doing in this instance. Notice verse 27. So the Lord said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. What an interesting question. What's your name? Did the Lord not remember his name? Sorry, Jacob, I'm so embarrassed. I, I forgot I forgot your name. What is your name again? No, that's not what was happening. The Lord knew his name. So why would he ask him his name? Well, go back with me to Genesis chapter 27. Because there was another time when Jacob's father asked Jacob who he was. It was the time when Jacob snuck in with the the goat skins on his hand and his faith to cheat his brother out of the blessing. And in Genesis 27, 18, it says, Then he came to his father and said, My father. 
And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. So he's lying. The father asks him, Who are you? He says, I'm Esau. God says, I'm going to give you another chance, Jacob. What's your name? Are you going to try to connive your way out of this one too? Are you going to lie and try to deceive me? Who are you? And Jacob had to say, I am heel catcher. That's what his name meant. I am heel catcher. I'm a con artist. I'm a conniver. I'm a cheat. I'm a deceiver. Lord, that's who I am. That's what my nature is. I've always been that guy. I'm that guy now. And unless you change me, I will always be heel catcher. I am Jacob. And you know, God couldn't bless Jacob until Jacob was willing to come clean before the Lord and admit who he was. And this isn't the first time in the Bible that this has happened. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? They ate the forbidden fruit. They were running from God and hiding. What does God say? Where are you, Adam? Is it because the Lord wanted directions to how to find Adam? No, of course not. He wants Adam to admit to what he's just done. Later on, Cain kills his brother Abel. God says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Does he not know? Of course he knows. He wants Cain to come clean and admit and confess to what he's done. And in our lives, the Lord wants us to come clean. Over in 1 John 1 verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess means to say the same thing as. God wants us to say the same thing about our sin that He says about it. He says it's evil, it's rebellious, and it's damnable. And God wants us to own up to the fact that we have done the very same things that are evil, that are wicked, and that are damnable. And He wants us just to lay it out before the Lord and confess who we are and what we've done. And that's why He's requiring Jacob to make this confession. So, He clung to the Lord. That's faith. He admitted who He was by nature. That's repentance. Faith and repentance are working in the heart of Jacob because God has His finger on this man and He wants to make him into a new man. A new person. So we find Christ battling Jacob. We find Him breaking Jacob. Notice thirdly, we want to see Him blessing Jacob. Verse 28, He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. God does three things for Jacob to bless him. He changes his name, he answers his prayer, and he preserves his life. First of all, he changes his name. Notice this in verse 28. God said to him, Your name shall no longer be heel catcher, but he who strives with God which is what Israel means. He who strives with God. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God oftentimes in the Bible will change somebody's name. He changed Abram to Abraham. 
Sarai to Sarah, Simon to Peter, and in the book of Revelation it says that he's going to give us a new name when we get to heaven. A new name that perfectly describes the work that he's done in our lives while we were on earth. Nobody knows the name yet. We have to wait until we see him face to face to get our new name. Won't that be fun? But he gives Jacob a brand new name. You have been called heel catcher, but no longer. Your new name shall be Israel. He who strives with God. And he says, because you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. He didn't prevail with God by causing God to bend his will to Jacob and change his mind. He prevailed with God by being a broken, weeping, pleading man who clung to the Lord and would not let go. And you know, this new name for Jacob really symbolizes the new man that God was making him at this very moment. When you become a Christian, you become a new person, the Bible says. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything has become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Are you a new creature? Are you in Christ? Then the old thing has passed away. Everything has become new. You're a brand new person on the inside. And that just has to work its way to the outside now. And that's what's taking place in Jacob's life. God gives him a new name because he's begun this new work of radical transformation in his heart. Secondly, he answers his prayer. Verse 29. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you seek my name? So, the Lord asked Jacob, What's your name? Jacob tells him. And Jacob turns right around and says, Well, what's your name? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. You asked me and I told you. I want to ask you. Tell me what your name is. And how does the Lord respond? Why do you ask my name? In other words, I'm not going to answer your question. Jacob, we're not on the same playing field. We're not equals here. I'm God, and you're a man. Uh, you, you, you don't have the same rights to interrogate me as I have to interrogate you. You need to be silent before me. I am God. And then he says, and he blessed him there. So God gave him the blessing that he was seeking. What was the blessing that Jacob wanted? Protection from his brother. I believe that God answered that prayer right at that particular point. Because if you go further in the story, look at Genesis 33.4. It says, Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. He didn't kill him. All of his anger was out the window. It was gone probably years ago. And he just fell on his neck and wept and kissed him and embraced him as his brother. God answered his prayer for protection. But that's not all that the Lord did. He also preserved his life. Look at what happens in verse 30. So Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. See, Jacob knows that he has no right to actually see the face of God and still live. Somehow he just instinctively knows that. In fact, God will say to Moses, no man can see my face and live. Over in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says that God dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. 
So how did Jacob see the face of God and live if it's impossible for that to happen? He, he, he saw the face of the God-man. You see, you will never be able to behold the very face of Almighty God and all of its glory unless you come through Jesus Christ the way Jacob did. Jacob's that umpire who lays one hand on God and the other hand on man and draws them together. And we can look into the face of Christ. In John chapter 1 it says, No man has ever beheld God at any time. The only begotten God, that's Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So we can't see God, but we can see Christ. And Christ brings God and sinners together so that we we can behold the face of God through Christ without being incinerated on the spot because of our sin. So the Lord answered his prayer and the Lord preserved his life. Now let's look finally at Christ branding Jacob. Verse 31 and 32. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel and he was limping on his thigh Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Notice here, verse 31. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping, limping on his thigh. This tells us something. It tells us that the pain that Jacob experienced when God touched him didn't just go away as soon as God blessed him. He still had it. He still had the limp the next day. And in fact, he probably carried that limp with him the rest of his life. He crossed over that brook and his children and his wives rushed up to greet him and they said, Jacob, Father, what's happened? You're limping. Are you hurt? And he must have turned to them and said something like, I met God last night. I saw Him face to face. God touched me. And I'm never going to be the same. My walk is never going to be the same again. I used to walk with a swagger. I used to walk self-confidently. But now I walk leaning on this staff. No, God has touched me and I'll never be the same again. God had branded him with this limp. And so wherever Jacob went for the rest of his life, whether it was walking before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he walked into the Pharaoh's presence with a limp. Genesis chapter 47. Whether he walked with his family, he walked with a limp. He walked as a changed man, a transformed man. God had his mark on Jacob for the rest of Jacob's life. And folks... God wants to put His mark on you and brand you and make you different for the rest of your life. There's a scripture I want to share with you. It's over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights, in the world. If we appear as lights in the world, then what is this crooked and perverse generation like? They're dark. <laughs> They're like a dark world, and we're lights in a dark world, and we're getting attention from other people. How do we do it? By doing all things without grumbling and disputing. 
by appearing different from the rest of the world that we live in? You know, Jacob appeared different. He had a limp. No, no, nobody else did. He walked with a limp for the rest of his life. God wants you to walk with a limp. Somebody once asked Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, what does a man look like who's met God? He said he walks with a limp. If you've met God, you walk differently than you used to walk. If you're still walking in the same old sin patterns, you really haven't met the Lord in saving power yet. Because God will begin a work of purification in your life to free you and to separate you from those sins that you've been walking in for all of these years. He'll do a new work. Now, you're not perfected immediately. It takes time. In fact, your whole life will be a life of transformation. But He will begin that work of sanctification at that moment. And here we're told that we are to appear like lights in a dark world. The the world around us is crooked. It's perverse. God wants us to shine our light before men so that they may see the glory of our God working in us and glorify Him who is in heaven. There's an interesting illustration of this in the Old Testament. It's Exodus chapter 21. In the Old Testament, if someone owned a slave... In the seventh year, they had to free that slave. Sometimes a slave would come up on his seventh year, and it would be time for him to go free, but his wife and his children were still the slaves of that master. And he had a choice. He could say, you know, I love my wife and my children, and I love my master. He's a good master. He's treated me fairly. I don't want to go free. I want to stay here and be the slave of this master forever and I want to be with my family forever. So I'm making a commitment of my life to remain a slave to this master forever. Well, if that happened, the master would take that slave to the doorpost and he would knock an all through his earlobe and put an earring through his ear and that was like a brand. That was a permanent reminder to everybody from that moment on that this slave would never be a free man again. He would always be the slave of that particular master. Folks, we are the slaves of Jesus. And if you have become his slave, he's knocked a hole through your ear. And he's put an earring in it. That earring is called the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. He's the seal that you are owned by God. He dwells within you. You're the mark. the, The Holy Spirit is the mark that God owns you. And if the Holy Spirit lives in us, our life should be different from the crooked and perverse and dark and wicked generation among whom we live. It should shine like a light in a dark place. You know, if you come into this room and it's pitch black, all you have to do is strike a little match and instantly the the room flames to light with just a tiny little spark. We live in such a dark world that if you live differently, if you live a holy life, they're going to sit up and they're going to take notice. That's what the Lord wants in our life. He wants to brand you. Let's draw some application today. First of all, the Lord will battle you in order to break you. He will battle you if you're foolish enough to try to withstand Him. If He shows you sin in your life and you don't repent, you better believe He's coming after you. He's not going to let that go by. He will battle against you. He will wrestle with you until he gets the mastery of that area of your life. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, 
The author says, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. If the Lord loves you, He's going to discipline you. That means He's going to spank you. He's going to whip you. (laughs) If He has to, remember, you can take the easy way. But if you won't, He's going to whip you. He's going to bring you back into line because He loves you. See, He will wrestle you in order to break you. And He breaks you because He wants to bless you, because He loves you. The Lord's like the hound of heaven. He will keep coming after you again and again and again, and He will get you if you are His child. So the Lord will battle you because He's going to break you. He will break you because He wants to bless you. You see, the Lord doesn't bring pain into your life because He delights in bringing pain into your life. He brings pain into your life because it's the only way that He can bring the blessing into your life that He wants to bring. Just like that little lamb. The shepherd wanted to bless the lamb. He wanted to keep him safe from the wolf. So what does he do? He brings pain into his life. Sometimes God's going to have to bring pain into our life because He wants to shower His grace and His mercy and His love and His goodness and His favor into our lives. So yes, the Lord will break you in order to bless you. You say, hey, Brian, I, I, I don't want pain. I've had too much pain in my life. I just want all the pain to go away. Well, guess what? Sometimes if all the pain went away, we would find ourselves like that little lamb straying away from the fold. In Psalm 119.67, the psalmist said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now... I keep thy word. I'm like the little lamb with the broken leg. I used to wander all over the place. I was self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-confident, lived my own life all by myself, not looking to the Lord. And so the Lord had to bring some affliction into my life. And he used that affliction to cause me to stay close and to cling to him. To admit who I was confess who I was and to cling to Him all the more. So the Lord will break us because He wants to bless us, but He will bless us by branding us. That's how He blesses us. He brands us. In other words, He makes a permanent change in our lives. Have you ever experienced God coming at a crisis point, a decisive point in your life, and He branded you? In other words, He made a change in your life. He caused you to make a a serious reversal, a, a commitment to turn from a particular sin to holiness. Or you forsook that sin pattern. Maybe it's someone who has had a a drinking or a drug problem, and they've indulged in that particular sin year after year, and God comes to them. And he touches the socket of their thigh. And it's painful. And they are miserable in this situation. And it's enough to get them to actually make a decisive turning from that particular habit that's actually destroying their life to come to Jesus clean and admit who they are, confess their sin, and cling to him because they know that they can't overcome this particular problem in their life by themselves. Or perhaps it's one of us who just kind of lives in our own strength from day to day. Maybe we make spending decisions without seeking the Lord and asking His opinion. 
Maybe we just make everyday decisions without talking to the Lord about it and asking what He wants us to do. And so the Lord brings some kind of an affliction. He puts His finger on that issue in our life and He speaks a word to us and He says, My son, stay close to me. Cling to me. Inquire of me. I will help you to make these decisions. But if you try to make these decisions on your own, you're going to make a mess of your life. Perhaps it's some other sin. Maybe it's the sin of pornography. There's a time when the Lord came and branded you because He he touched you with such hot fires that you were miserable in that sin and you had to make a a definite turning from that sin. And so you got whatever they call it on your computer to protect you from that. What do you call that, Sean? (laughs) Anti-porn software or whatever it is. Um, or protect, or perhaps you went to another brother and you said, hey, I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to ask me how I'm doing in this particular area of my life. There was a, a branding. The Lord branded you. He changed you. He caused you to make a, a turning. And maybe there's somebody here this morning that needs to turn. Maybe they need to feel the Lord's touch on their hip right now. Because there's an area of your life where you need to turn from and you haven't done it. Maybe this is going to be the day when the Lord does it the hard way because you haven't been willing to take the easy way. I pray that you would, at this moment, yield. Just like Jacob learned to yield. Yield to Him. He is the Lord, you know. (laughs) Jesus is Lord. In fact, you can't even be saved unless you confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that God raised him from the dead. You can't even enter the kingdom without acknowledging that he is the master. He's the boss. You're not the boss. He's the boss. He's running the show. This isn't the Brian show down here on earth. This is the God show. God is doing all things for his glory, not yours. And if you will submit to him and yield to him, you're going to find your life goes so much better than if you try to fight against him day after day. Let's pray. Lord, would you come at this moment and do that surgery, that heart surgery? Would you do that that work? Would you place your finger on somebody here and touch them at that point where they've been resisting you and cripple them so that they can't rely on themselves anymore and they can't go their own way anymore and they need to follow you as Lord and King and Master? Lord, please do that work that only you can do. Sanctify your people. Make us holy, Lord, that we would give you the glory and praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.